federal government and numerous states are concerned that user data collected by some popular apps could be shared with foreign governments, including China. To prevent that from happening, they've banned employees from using TikTok and other apps on government-owned devices. On today's episode of Mara Talking, I'm joined by Christina Bala, Senior Security Intelligence Engineer at Lookout, a digital security firm and an industry leader in mobile security. We'll talk about these bans, how they can be enforced, and why governments should be concerned about more than TikTok. Christina, thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about this with you. Yeah, we are too. Really excited. So, I mean, I'm just going to open it up to you. Why TikTok and why now? It seems that Congress is interested, the White House is interested, and obviously all these mandates that are now coming out. I mean, we know that social media platforms often collect an extensive amount of data about a user, and I think with Chinese apps in particular and in the case of TikTok, a lot of the concern is about how that data can be accessed when there maybe aren't the same kinds of data privacy laws that we would have in other countries. So certain legal critics point to these exemption rules and really vague definitions in the CCP's data privacy laws and their constitution that seem to leave room for the government to access data stored by private companies, often when you know, the government decides and, and deems that it's a matter of state security or um, there's a term keeping social order investigating criminal offenses, protecting public security, that kind of thing. With TikTok specifically, I think the reason why this app seems to have initiated this conversation is first because it's just so crazy, wildly popular. Historically, Chinese social media apps haven't really done that well in North America. WeChat, for example, which is you know pretty much a part of everyday life. You can do everything on it if you live in mainland China really only has about 100 million users outside of China. But then when we look at TikTok, right now they're reported to have 150 million monthly active users over the age of 18 just in the United States alone. And that is truly a staggering number. So when you have that kind of subscribership, there's more data to potentially harvest. And you know there's a wider audience to target with the kinds of influence campaigns that could impact elections or, you know, maybe even policymakers. With that idea, with the idea that you could have these kinds of influence campaigns, I think a lot of that stems from these accounts where users have said that their accounts were actually suspended for content that seemed to criticize the Chinese government. One of these cases was a particular user who was urging their viewers to research the conditions of Uyghurs in detention camps. And then there's been some discussion about whether certain content that is politically sensitive within China seems to be more difficult to find on the platform, even though TikTok is not an application actually used on mainland China. There's been some reporting on this, of, you know, a fair bit of concern by policymakers. And, and there was even a report from the Australian Strategic Policy Institute that seemed to find that China's national internet policy had largely influenced the global TikTok content policy and recommendation algorithms. So I think that's why we're seeing a lot of discussion around this app in particular. There you know, has been some reporting on it, and it's just so widely used that there's more potential for harm, I think. So many interesting points there, right? And I totally agree. It's ubiquitous at this point. It's altering how every other major social media app seems to be operating today. And you know, the, the points you raised about whether the organization is completely free and, and operating on its own with no government influence in China really, really interesting here. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment, because it certainly seems like the organization is. 
TikTok has announced, you know, their CEO was in, in front of Congress. They say that TikTok, the app, is no longer communicating with foreign IP addresses, meaning that, you know, data isn't being sent directly to China anymore. You know, federal law, law enforcement, state and local governments as well, still concerned this is not really allayed any fears. Why is that the case? Yeah, that's a really good question. And so this notion that TikTok is no longer communicating with foreign IPs is something that we've independently verified at Lookout as well. But I think this concern really stems from who is still able to access that data, even if it's being stored in US-based or you know databases in Singapore. So even if the data isn't being sent to a server in China, you know theoretically that data could still be accessed by employees based in China. And some critics feel that those employees could be pressured into sharing details about foreign nationals with the government. So there's been you know, a lot of discussion about this late last week. Uh, TikTok's CEO said that, yes, actually employees at its parent company, ByteDance, could still have access to some US data. And late last year, TikTok actually updated their privacy policy for European users to clarify that employees in a number of other non-European countries, including China, could actually remotely access European user data. So I think this has led to a lot of concern from policymakers in the US about what this could mean for American user data and how that data could still be misused. This has led to some discussions with US lawmakers about how do we mitigate that risk and prevent access to this user data from employees in China. There's been a discussion about a forced sale of TikTok to American uh, parent companies. And uh, the, the Chinese government has pretty specifically said that they would oppose that. So TikTok has now proposed an initiative that they're calling Project Texas that would basically have U.S. user data managed by a U.S.-led security team. And then this team could be monitored by a government-approved auditor. So they've said that once Project Texas is fully implemented, all U.S. user data would be completely inaccessible to employees in China. So that's still under discussion with policymakers. We heard a fair bit about that last week, and I guess we'll have to see what happens. I I know some lawmakers are still really trying to push for the sale of TikTok to an American parent company or a a parent company that is not uh, based in China. So we'll kind of have to see what happens there. Absolutely. And we're here recording last week of March. So you're obviously referencing TikTok CEO testifying in front of Congress, right? Um, Yes. Yeah. Funny enough, this month marks, I guess, when the formal ban and when folks at government agencies are supposed to have TikTok off of all of government owned devices. Um, Right. But I'm I'm wondering, right, you know, now that we sit here in April, like how prevalent was TikTok use on government-owned devices? Are we talking about like a small subset of government workers? I can't imagine a use that would, you know, require them to use it for work, right? But how prevalent do we know like TikTok is on, on these government right. devices? Yeah. So it's really hard to know just how many government-owned devices actually have TikTok installed and how many of those users actually have an account. But there was a report from the Alliance for Securing Democracy that actually gave us some really interesting statistics around how many candidates are using TikTok for work as part of their campaign. Late last year, this organization found that about 30% of all major party candidates in Senate races had TikTok accounts, and that about 34% of Democratic candidates and 12% of Republican candidates in the Senate, House, Governor, and Secretary of State races all had accounts. And there have been some reports of candidates using TikTok as part of their campaign strategy. But yeah, I agree. Realistically, it kind of seems unlikely that 
many government employees would actually need to access TikTok or other personal, you know, even personal social media accounts from their work devices. So I think in general, when we're talking about this concern of having really any social media application, any application that's not being used for work on a corporate or government device, this concern that data and networks could be compromised if a user just unwittingly installs a malicious application. On our modern mobile devices, we have operating systems that have pretty great security measures in place that largely prevent apps from accessing each other's data. But there is malware that can exploit the device and really circumvent those security measures in order to get access to certain permissions it shouldn't otherwise have or to data that it really shouldn't have access to. And even if you're not dealing with a mobile malware application that is that sophisticated, because that tends to be kind of the upper echelon of threat actors that are implementing those device exploits, especially on the newer devices. Uh, we do see a fair number of mobile malware applications you know, distributed by nation state actors that just use sophisticated social engineering to try and convince users they need access to certain permissions on the device or use certain tools that, that do kind of circumvent some security measures to give them access to other apps on the device. You know, with that in mind, if you have a corporate or, or government device that is accessing, you know, a sensitive network or, or applications, even, you know, an email client that's getting sensitive emails for your work, you do have to be quite concerned that the other applications on your device are legitimate, that they're not malicious, and that you're not inadvertently compromising your corporate or government applications, data, or even the network. That's really, really interesting there. A lot of folks may not be aware that some of these apps out there could be malicious. I'm wondering now, like this is obviously, as you pointed out, speaking towards a larger trend that goes well beyond TikTok. Folks are going to be conducting personal business at, at points during the workday, it seems that bring your own device policies at some of the major agencies have gotten off to a slower start, but those are continue to be talked about, right? Mm -hmm. um, so this issue goes beyond just government furnished equipment and these mandates right now. So can we assume, obviously, TikTok's not the only app our government should be concerned about and what else should we be thinking about as we continue to have this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a really important question. You know, I think TikTok is getting all of this media attention because it is so popular, because so many people are using it. But in recent years, we've really seen a lot of discussion about the ways in which user data could be misused by other social media platforms. And, you know, not even necessarily just social media platforms, but just mobile applications in general that collect extensive user data or have the ability to significantly impact domestic politics, like the discussion with um, Cambridge Analytica a, a little while back. If we take China, for example, in our data set at Lookout, we have roughly 9 million other applications that are communicating with servers in China. Now, this is just you know, taking China as an example because we're talking about TikTok, but this doesn't actually mean that all of these applications are risky or malicious, but there are many applications that rely on advertising software development kits or SDKs. Many of them are Chinese-based or Chinese-developed or developed in other countries. And these SDKs can collect a decent amount of data about a user. So if this advertising data is combined with other information about the user or about the user's device, it is possible that it could reveal more sensitive information than what was originally collected by the ad SDK alone. So that's something that we have to consider. And in, in those cases, the apps aren't necessarily intentionally acting maliciously. 
But depending on the data that's being collected for advertising purposes, we might be concerned about the sensitivity of that data. I think in general, just as consumers, we need to be aware of what kind of data we're sharing with a third party when we're using an application. And I think this is especially the case in uh, free applications, since really the general consensus is that no application is truly free. You're basically paying for its use with your data. So you have to kind of remember that if, if you're not paying for a subscription, they're making money some other way. And then we're kind of left questioning, what is our data helping that application with? How are they making money from our data? Your point about Cambridge Analytica, I think that was so eye-opening for so many people, right? And I believe Absolutely. it was a personality quiz, right? People thought they were just answering right. a quiz for fun. A lot of our listeners here are very conscientious. They work in the technology space. They understand how their user data can be used or manipulated. But from what you're seeing, like what kind of user data you know, is being collected by these apps that you guys are watching? And how could that potentially be used by foreign governments in a malicious or you know, intelligence gathering type of way? If we kind of go back to the TikTok example, when we at Lookout independently analyzed TikTok, we found that the app was collecting kind of a bunch of different random things. So there was uh, you know, things like the user's email or phone number, their age or birthday, and their interests that were collected during account creation. That's pretty standard. A lot of social media platforms will collect those details, especially interests, because they're saying, well, we need to understand what you're interested in seeing on the platform so we can show you more of it to increase engagement. But the app also asked for access to contacts stored on the device or from Facebook. That's also pretty standard. So we see that on a lot of social media platforms. It asked to actually just would collect. It wouldn't necessarily ask to collect the user's IP address at various times while the user's interacting with the device, like when they're you know posting to the platform or they're watching a video. But then it would also collect the user's IP address just in the background while it was doing logging on the device. And then it was collecting things like device information, device model, the operating system, the carrier, as well as any activity that the user performed on websites that were opened by the in-app browser. So for example, if you're on something like Facebook and you, you open a link, sometimes there's like an in-app browser that the application is controlling. It's letting you access a website from within the application. TikTok has that kind of thing as well. And any activity that was performed on those websites or like, you know, what websites you're going to that would be something that they would have visibility into. This kind of data, you know, we're seeing it collected by a lot of social media platforms and a lot of advertising SDKs for that matter. But what I think the concern is, is that on its own, it kind of seems like, okay, well, it's not a crazy amount of really invasive data. You're not collecting, you know, SMS messages or somebody's emails or taking photos of them, which some malware terrifyingly does. But this data can be used to create kind of like a, a profile of the user. It could lead to inferring things like the user's geographical location. You know, the app has information about their interests. It could lead to getting a sense of the user's purchasing power, their employment status, the level of disposable income they have, and you know, even their sexual orientation, their relationship status, their gender identity, that kind of thing. And this information can be used to push certain content to the user to try and increase user engagement. That's what you know a lot of social media apps are doing, trying to get you to stay on the app for as long as possible. But then it, it kind of takes us back to the concern around influencing users by showing them certain content that could impact their decisions around voting or political leanings in general. Like we talked about with Cambridge Analytica, that was a big concern there. So... In terms of our executive branch agencies, right, they've already begun this process to remove TikTok from government equipment. 
Right. Any other advice you have about removing risky apps from government devices? How can we be more protected here and how can we prevent them from being installed in the first place? There's something called mobile device management or um, MDM. It's a platform that can allow the administrators, like IT administrators, to enforce certain policies surrounding which apps are allowed to be installed on a corporate or, you know, in this case, government device. And they also allow administrators to delete applications that have been installed. So I think something like that can be really beneficial to an organization because there's a lot more visibility about what kind of applications are being installed on a user's device. And you can prevent certain applications from being installed or, or remove ones that you are kind of considering just really not necessary for everyday work life. Um, and that might pose a risk to the network or to data that's being stored on the, on the government device. I also think just in general, mobile security education is really important. And that can really help employees understand the risks, not just of installing potentially risky mobile apps, but also for avoiding things like phishing campaigns that can compromise corporate or government infrastructure and accounts. I'm on the threat intelligence team. We, we deal a lot with looking at uh, nation state actor activity and a very large portion of the campaigns that we see that are often targeting other governments really stem from delivering mobile malware through phishing campaigns, pretending that you're somebody that you're not and asking someone to download a particular application for either a work purpose or you know to communicate something about a human rights issue. And so providing the education to employees about this is what to look for, this is when to notify your IT security team, and please don't click anything that seems suspicious is pretty important as well, in, in my opinion. It's really interesting to see that, you know, this issue with TikTok has raised awareness for, you, you mentioned mobile device managers and, and also mobile threat defense. We've seen a lot of ebbs and flows with how the government treats these kind of technologies, but it's really yeah. bringing the importance of these issues to bear beyond those government furnished equipment. What about personal devices being used for work, you know, either with or without the agency's permission? We've already talked about how they might be connected to an agency network. What about pushing security right. policies out to those and how they can be applied? So we've talked about MDMs that can actually also be used to manage personal devices as part of the, the Bring Your Own Device program. There are some limitations there. So you've talked about mobile threat defense, and I think that can be a really helpful addition to, to managing the devices that are able to access any you know, corporate government infrastructure. For example, an MDM might not be able to offer certain protection against threats like phishing, we've talked about phishing, or malicious apps, uh, detecting malicious apps on a device, recognizing that a device has been jailbroken or rooted, which would give additional permissions to applications that shouldn't have those permissions. And that's where mobile threat defense tooling can come in and, and offer protection for the device. And depending on, on the product, it can even identify out-of-date apps and vulnerable SDKs, you know, like those ad SDKs we talked about that are being used by applications that are installed on the device and enrolled in the program. You know, they can protect you from the kinds of threats we just talked about, phishing, malicious mobile apps. These services as well can let you configure what network traffic your device is sending out, how it's communicating with certain IPs. So for example, an organization could actually just block all traffic to a specific domain or even to top level domains like .cn that belong to Chinese websites. Or it could say block apps that send data back to Chinese IP addresses. There are a lot of different ways to configure policies that protect the device and limit how data is being shared from the device that's part of one of these programs. Christina, this has been so interesting. We certainly unpacked a lot of information here in a short amount of time. 
Last question. Are my apps listening to me? I cannot believe how personalized <laughs> these ads are. I, I think it kind of depends. You know, a lot of these advertising SDKs are really good at what they're meant to do. They're really good at being able to recognize how you're interacting with your device, what you're looking at on your social media platforms, and being able to kind of carry that information through to other connected applications. So, you know, we definitely have seen applications that are listening to users. I, I wouldn't say that's a concern across all of the apps that you likely have installed on your device, but I will say that, you know, ad SDKs are very good at what they do. Um, and it often does seem like they are reading your mind or at least listening uh, passively to what you're talking about in the background. Such an interesting space to watch. Fascinating, but I'm glad the government is starting to get ahead of some of these things and, and keep us safe. So thank you, yeah. Christina, again, for being here today and sharing your insights. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion. So that's all for today, folks. You can learn more about keeping app data safe at www.lookout.com. Have a great day.